Hi everyone, I'm your host Pietro Ferracini and you're listening to The Italianpreneur. My show is all about learning from mistakes and on it you'll hear a 20-minute interview with a young entrepreneur and you should listen if you're incredibly busy but still eager to learn. Please welcome Adriana Degram. She's a career-focused woman that has reinvented herself several times. For example, before she was working at Vodafone and now she's a consultant in projects and she's helping uh, sustainability to be introduced in companies in Latin America, for example. First met in Prague doing a startup trip and I'm very happy to talk to her here on The Italianpreneur to motivate me and all the listeners to get going and get out there. So Adriana, thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much, Pietro, for having me and hello to you and all your listeners. Oh, great. Fantastic. Where does this podcast find you? Well, it finds me in, in Prague, the heart of Europe, as we like to say, the, the capital of, of the Czech Republic, a tiny republic in the center of Europe, but a very interesting one because we are still uh, trying to find our identity if we are Central Europe or Eastern Europe or Western Europe. In fact, we, we like to say Central Europe, but sometimes, you know, in some decisions, we think that there's still a past past that it's uh, that it's really like uh, uh, leaving its traits on our psychological decisions and our minds and uh, sure. our identity so that's that's the place you find me and you find me in a as you said in a moment in life when I am a, not only a consultant so which is like a private sector engagement but uh, I'm also I have been an honorary consul of Uruguay for a couple of years I am engaged in non-governmental organizations and initiatives and, for example, in the uh, Commission to the Government for Human Rights. Uh, and I will be starting quite an adventure with the academia, with the university here in autumn. So I'm very much looking forward. So in, in fact, you are talking to a kind of, because you are Italian, I say it kind of, a, I try to, to, to talk about myself in that terms, about um, a renaissance person, you know, we used to say that in Renaissance, you had a lot of skills. So it's something like that, that I, I feel we have to have today in order to be somehow successful and to be sustainable. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I usually start off by asking a question um, that is a bit personal, that would help my audience to get to know you a bit better. So what kind of student were you back in high school? Were you the best student, the average kid, or the one that just struggled to go on like me? What a delicate <laughs> question. Well, Pietro, in fact, I uh, let me tell you that in all my life, I'm, uh, you know, there was a famous American actress, Betty Davis, saying, I am very good when I'm good and I'm even better when I'm bad. Uh, but it's not my case. I mean, I'm very good in things I like and I feel motivated and I, I, I consider them meaningful and I'm very bad in things that I simply can't uh, really um, find the worth in it. So, mm -hmm. so this was my career. And uh, after the second year, I studied my university degree in Spain. After the second year, I, I got a scholarship uh, for uh, Moscow. It was in the 90s, uh, just after the Soviet Union uh, uh, dismembered. And uh, that was quite an adventure. Uh, and it was because I, I, I liked the topic. I, I was very fond of, and then I came back to to, to, to Madrid and uh, so so I was very good and really able to put all my efforts, energy and courage to things I like 
but a very bad student <laughs> in things I, I thought that were, were either, you know, protocolary or yes. the, the lecturers really didn't care, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's not that I am kind, kind of excellent on all fields. Fantastic. Well, I'm very happy to know that. Um, so I don't feel lonely in this category. No, you are not the <laughs> And it's very, very beautiful to know. So I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. So jumping straight into it, you are very sustainability focused. And before in our, in our little chat, we talk about, we touched upon a very interesting topic that I would like our listeners to know. So let me ask you, what is stakeholder capitalism or also known as inclusive capitalism? Can you tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think maybe we, we should like uh, make two steps uh, back to the past, you know, when, when all these kind of uh, like uh, ideas, in fact, when we are talking about sustainability, it's, it's quite an old term in terms of uh, where, where did it come from, you know? I mean, in, in fact, it was first appeared in the 70s in the, in the Conference of Stockholm. And uh, then uh, in the 80s with the Brundtland Commission, et cetera, et cetera. So all these kind of like sustainability that it's not only about economy, what does it mean? How do we see that? It's quite a conversation that, that took us like years I'm very happy to hear now sustainability everywhere, sometimes even misused. Uh, but, uh, uh, but it's a term that really, uh, that philosophically uh, and socially has been growing for, for decades, yes. And when we are talking uh, about, I would say, the shift of paradigm, uh, I mean, in the past, what, what we had, uh, and, and still someone, I, I would say we would find it, is this kind of like vision of, of uh, our world as a, as a shared uh, shareholder value economy yes you had business that's one thing society another thing environment mm -hmm. other thing and my my task is to is to get uh, the profit yeah mm -hmm. slowly it, it started to merge all these conversations started to merge in a kind of like intersection of business environment and society in something we started to to talk about maybe you remember about creating shared value yes yeah i mean business comes first negative impacts are often not sufficiently internalized or, or justified by doing God elsewhere. Yeah, and I would say happened. those were the times of CSR, yeah? Well, okay, my business is contaminating the water, but I have a nice foundation that uh, cares about, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 homes for elderly or uh, does charity or whatever, you know, yes. this kind of uh, attitude. And now what we, are, what we are seeing is that, well, this doesn't work. I mean, what, what I, I need you to be a good citizen from the morning till the evening. It's not about what you do on Sundays in the church. It's about <laughs> your everyday behavior, you know, how you treat your wife, how you, how you I don't know, um, use energy in your house, how you educate your kids. So it's all these kind of like different factors in the citizenship, in your corporate citizenship or, or enterprise citizenship that really have impact. So we are talking about that the business, in fact, now it's a part of the society and the environment. I mean, you are part of that. Uh, and, and you really, uh, as a business, you address uh, social needs in a, in a kind of holistic way, yes? You are not hindering the progress. You are having in mind your profit, but also people and planet. So that's why we are, for example, talking now about the triple bottom uh, triple uh, economy, bottom line, yeah. which is about, yeah, triple bottom line. Which is about people, profit, and planet, or uh, or even the the World Economic Forum started to talk about more about I think it's their term is inclusive capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, 
it's it's not just the shareholders uh it's now about all the stakeholders involved which is quite challenging we started to talk about not a linear economy but finding like circular economy how can we change the models and i think in that sense covid has helped a lot to think about circular economy but also about uh, where the role of the of the businesses are and that businesses today are much more than business fantastic yeah uh, i can get an example of how now businesses are getting involved in society i know in the us often like uh, several companies open their facilities to get people vaccinated uh, and really you know helped to bring uh, this big problem that the society has and offer their help to to get it solved quicker which is Absolutely. really beautiful but i would like i would like to give you to to ask ask you to give me an example of inclusive capitalism of or stakeholder capitalism whatever you want to call it uh let me for example uh, i mean what what i saw the process i saw for example when i was in a telco company was uh, really like beginning to consider that your services which is far more uh, than really like i don't know selling uh, uh, handsets or connectivity was really about digitalization of the society and when you are talking about digitalization of the society you are talking about education you are talking about healthcare you are talking about uh, uh, young people not leaving regions because if you have a good connectivity in that area i mean there are chances to have some digital work some online work yes and and we saw it perfectly during covid that uh, for example digitalization is a key process that affects all the society so if you are a company for example telco obviously you are immersed in a society uh, that and you are fulfilling a certain demand of the society and the society expect something of you for example that you will be giving connectivity even to regions that are not so profitable yes, because yes. people live there and because uh, and because it's a way how to uh, how to uh, either attract young people mm -hmm. or talents there or to get the people stay there because they have all the services they need you know so it's 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 much more that um, that uh, all these kind of like that you are required to offer a system value yes for mm -hmm. for the society and the environment it's not just about it 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 is quite a change of paradigm in terms you have absolutely to change your business model yeah. and make it more into a dialogue and cooperation with the other other stakeholders that are involved as the society the ministries you know and all and we saw it during covid and it was quite it's it's challenging definitely i mean we are not used to it but you see that even in those companies that in the beginning was i sell i say what i do now mm. it's really a kind of dialogue and really the the companies are modifying their plans in order what the expectations and needs of the society and also of the of the environment yes in terms of i don't know uh, green gas emissions etc uh so uh those are changing so I, i have been witnessing this for the last couple of years absolutely but very interesting thank you for sharing this first of all uh and uh, as i know like there are some people that are bringing out the idea that uh an internet connection should be a human rights which is very fascinating and i think it's uh, really really interesting but now i, I want to ask you a difficult question are companies at the moment using sustainability solely as a public public tool relations or are we moving towards something more or are some actors still behind what, what is your opinion I, about it? i think what are you talking about is a, is a, is a phenomena that uh, is slightly annoying but very human 
which is the, this kind of greenwashing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not saying just that who, who, those companies who use it for public relations are greenwashing all of them, not, mm -hmm. not at all. But always you expect that uh, uh, under the communication, you have the facts. You know, yeah. and uh, and we have seen a lot of greenwashing uh, in the late uh, years, either vague claims or irrelevant claims or non-proven facts or yeah. misleading facts. You know, a lot about, for example, bioplastics. You know, mm -hmm. or falsified claims. Uh, so uh, I think that's uh, that's one side of the of the like communication that we have to deal with. And uh, in this sense, I think European Union is doing quite a lot of work in terms of pushing companies towards transparency. Uh, they have recently, it's a couple of months ago, the European Commission has been uh, screening websites for greenwashing and they found out that half of green claims lack evidence, you know. Oh, so wow. okay. so uh, it's, I mean, it's good when you measure things because then you can have some actions that really mitigate this kind of, uh, uh, of phenomena. So uh, this, this kind of greenwashing is being addressed also in the future uh, well, not future, it's already in, but in the future, it will be even stricter, the non-financial reporting, the sustainability reporting, and the EU taxonomy. And I think uh, it's, it's not only, I mean, that we are going to, to uh, have influence on how they communicate. What we want to change is the kind of level of facts, what they really do, what are their processes, you know, how do they function as businesses. And I think there is a uh, a, a good uh, also pressure from the European Union, but also from the bank sector. Uh, you have been probably noticing that in in consulting big consulting companies as Deloitte or in big banks, you mm -hmm. have suddenly like ESG officers, officers who are in charge of the environmental, social, and governance impact. Yeah, yes. Yes. ESG, because they consider. I mean, and banks consider that if you are not doing well in this, this is a risk, and it obviously has an impact on on their money. You know, mm -hmm. so so what I feel is that on one side, for example, seeing the situation from Europe, you've got the European. Uh, obviously, this is also global, but I'm uh, yeah. I'm I'm talking about uh, Europe because it's more understandable for us and and more maybe clear. Uh, you have uh, Europe pushing for clarity, non-financial reporting, sustainability, and really consistency, integrity be between facts and and communication. Yeah. Yes, and on the other side. You have the, the banks, the investments, each time more focused on these indicators, the ESG indicators, saying, hey, guys, if you don't fulfill, if you don't get this right, understanding this as, as risks, if you don't mitigate this risk, if you are not uh, like performing well in mm -hmm. those pillars as well, well, you will not get our money or you will get it more expensive than the others that we know that are going on the right way. No, so I think this is, uh, I mean, the, the, the language of money is quite a powerful one. So I'm very optimistic that from one side with European Union saying, okay, they are also providing, like, I would say funding, for example, a Green Deal is about mm -hmm. providing funding for sustainable initiatives, circular economy initiatives. So it's, it's not long only just the stick, it's also the carrot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you are, uh, if you want to do this, we can help you, we can help you to transform the economy. And, uh, and uh, by this way, I think, and I'm optimistic, that the world is really shifting towards a more sustainable economic model and towards more sustainable societies at, at whole. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is new to me, the fact that uh, the financial sector is seeing a, a lack of social responsibility as a liability, as a risk, and is now punishing company financially uh, when they're looking for loans or 
things like that. And, and this is very, very new, but I think it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's super, super right. It's, it's the right thing to do. And uh, they're just, the banks are just reacting to what is happening around the world. You know, people are caring about it. We are understanding finally that we have an impact on the world socially and environmentally, and we are responsible for it. And the biggest polluters uh, are companies. So they need to take primary responsibilities. We have seen this shift uh, of... Uh, you know, environmental consciousness to the consumers. But I, I personally believe that companies should be the first ones to take that inside their business, internalize, and, and then consumers can react to it and make their decisions. But they're the ones who can have the largest impact. It's not me collecting my plastic that is going to change the planet. As the biggest uh, plastic producers, for example, Coca-Cola, that should change its packaging so then i have less responsibility concerning the bottle and i can you know do the right thing you're absolutely right i mean that the pressure of the customers uh, should be there and in fact it's often the one that like highlights the problem yes but it should be uh, uh driven from the companies internally but also uh, let me just give you a a sense of what what a company like that a multinational is about it's a huge uh, I would say kind of ministry with its own inertia, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's it's quite the changes are difficult to, to implement. So if you have several like uh, like uh, pushes from, from different sides, customers, regulations, mm -hmm. your, for example, your uh, suppliers or generally yeah. uh, it's, it's whom you supply, yeah? Uh, it's it's, it's uh, really like changing faster and faster. Yeah, and you get then, attacked by multiple sides, so you absolutely. Gotta react. You, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You get like also, but also supported that you are not alone. It's very difficult, and I think that's also the good thing that the the atmosphere in the business uh, ecosystem is such that now it's easier to change. It's not so mm -hmm. like energy resources demanding. You have peers, you have a network, you can exchange good practices, and uh, and I think really business, uh, if if uh, um, uh, it gets the the change right especially big, uh, big companies, they can change also. They have quite a big power on the supply chains, you know. So yeah, they started they to say, okay, I want just suppliers who, uh, who um, uh, fulfill some kind of environmental, social requirements, diversity requirements, governance requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you want to be a supplier of this big company because it's quite a big business. So you try to change as well, yeah. you know. So I, I would maybe put like less romanticism or philosophical uh, like uh, hope that people sought and understood. I think a little bit of pressure is needed and then people will see that, well, yes, it, 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 it has sense. It's, it's meaningful, the change. But at the beginning, I wouldn't uh, really leave much voluntarily, um, like voluntary space for, for the yeah. change. I think it's, it's good having a little bit of stick and carrot. Sure, sure. Totally agree with that. I think uh, it's, it's really fascinating to touch about, upon that point. So let me ask you our last question. So what is the one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Think of you as 22, 25 years old, starting your career, finishing up university. What is the one piece of advice that you would mm -hmm, tell yourself? Mm -hmm. I would say to young people, think about yourself as a toolbox. Yeah, you are a box, as many tools as you will have in it, the more, the easier and more adaptable your life will be. Meaning, uh, and that's, uh, you can translate what I said to 
multiculturalism, the more cultures you will know, the more tools you will, you will have to handle different people, different styles of communication, uh, different adaptation to, to cultural norms or way of functioning, yes? And it will give you an advantage in your business or in your professional career, definitely, because you have more tools. The same is with languages, for example. Obviously, if you have more languages, you have more chances to be, uh, to be uh, useful, effective, and successful in different contexts. You have a competitive advantage. So I would say, I mean, uh, this kind of idea, I work for uh, a company for 30 years from the bottom, I, I became the vice president, etc. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the model for the future because you see our world is globalized, quite unstable, unpredictable. And the more tools you have, the more like uh, learning you you invest in yourself so you are like up to date the easier uh, and and i think also more um more interesting the, the yeah. life personal and professional will be for you totally well adriana beautiful conclusion your life is a toolbox so get out there and you know tune it to your needs and get as many experiences as you can beautiful Thank you very much for doing this. I enjoyed our talk so much and I'm looking forward to have you on the podcast uh, sooner uh, in the future. Thank you, Pietro, for having me and good luck. If that sounds interesting to you, make sure to stick around for the next episode. Support the show by subscribing to the podcast and by sharing what you learned today with someone dear to you. Feel free to connect by following the links in the description of this episode. And don't waste your time, instead, invested by learning something new every single day. And for those that are interested in being a part of a valuable entrepreneurial community, check out Mustard Entrepreneurs. They offer webinars, competitions, get-togethers and workshops to bring entrepreneurship closer to their fellow students. Being an entrepreneur is about being bold and creative and also a risk-taker. If this sounds like something you want to be a part of, check out Mustard Entrepreneurs on their Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.